This episode is sponsored by Free Market Kids. Join the league of families who are transforming family time into unforgettable Bitcoin learning experiences. With our Hoddle Up Bitcoin mining board game, you're not just playing. You're building bridges, creating memories, and unlocking the brilliance of the future one block at a time. I bought Bitcoin. I didn't know what I bought, but I was so happy. Finally, I'm going to be rich. But two days later, the bubble burst. I'm like, what? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> I knew it. It's a scam. And I cursed myself for a few days. But then I thought, I really have to figure this thing out. Otherwise, I will be scammed again. So that's when I finally took the time to research about Bitcoin. Hey everybody, welcome to Orange Hatter. I've got a very exciting announcement to make today. The website for the Orange Hatter Retreat is up and registration is now open. We are offering a 21% discount for anyone who registers by January 30th, 2024. We didn't have to move the retreat up by one day, so it will run from March 16th through the 20th in Merida, Yucatan, Mexico. This is in partnership with Project Yucatan. It's going to be an amazing five days of recharge, restoration, and deep connections with women Bitcoiners. It will be an absolutely incredible chance to meet like-minded women and form friendships that will last a lifetime. Please go to the website www.orangehatter.com slash Yucatan. And I will see you in Mexico. And now on to our very wonderful guest. Enjoy. Welcome to Orange Hatter. I'm so excited to have you here. I can't wait to dive in. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, good to be on the show hosted by our fellow women. <laughs> yes, definitely. Woman to woman conversation. All right. So I know the audience can see this, but we are very casual here. I am literally sitting with a coat on and my blanket on my legs because I'm in the basement talking to Tariko over a cup of coffee. We want this story to be very relatable to you. So yeah, let's get right to it. Tariko, okay. so tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so my name is Tariko. Now I'm working with a Bitcoin company for over four or five years already. But before that, while people see me as a free spirit, I like to be free or like I like to have like options. I value flexibility. And then I'm not afraid of changes. Like I'm a risk taker. So my life has to like big turns several times. Growing up, I was born and raised in Japan, but like typical Japanese, not like me. So I am usually I'm the like loud one and really spontaneous. I ask questions at school. So teachers are like, you know, it's so rude to question me like at class. <laughs> and then I but I can't help it, right? Because I'm so curious. So yeah, that was like me growing up, but my family were very supportive of me being kind of weird, funny, or like uh, free and independent personality. So I was quite lucky. And then, so naturally, I was interested in the world outside of Japan. So as soon as I did 
for college, I started traveling around the world. So far, I've probably visited more than 70 countries, but I stopped counting about 50 countries, so I don't know exactly. <laughs> but uh, I did, yeah, like backpacking Europe. I did really like sort of like five-star hotel type of uh, traveling too. But so my college dates were like those traveling dates. But then you graduate college and you have to start working. Right. <laughs> so my first job was because I loved traveling so much. So I wanted to be in the industry, which I can also travel. So naturally, I chose a travel agency <laughs> so I can be a tour guide. But that was a big mistake. <laughs> if you love something, you should keep it as a hobby, not make it a work. Because, you know, work, because you do something you don't want. You suffer. That's why you get compensated. <laughs> so the first lesson I learned as a you know, fresh out in uh, work. But uh, yeah, so I couldn't last long. And then I quit. And then I was so afraid of telling my parents I quit my job after like two weeks. So I'm like, I have to find a new job before I come you know, clean to my parents. <laughs> yeah, I was like, anything, just you know, job, I need a job. <laughs> so then I, like, I was like going through uh, jobs, uh, posting site and blah, 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 and they found that this new job, which was like low form, I was just a legal assistant. And then there I, was hired as a legal assistant, but I found out that there were, it was back in the um, late 90s. So everyone had a PC, everyone had uh, emails, but that office or maybe law industry overall wasn't digitalized at all. And then I had to like go to the warehouse and then pick up the files from the pile of, of files, right? So I'm like, why do I have to do this? If they have a database, I know exactly where the information they are looking for. So I'm like going to the partner and then complain about my job being inefficient because of this manual work, right? And then he was like, what can what can I do? I mean, you know, what do you want to do? So I'm like, I wanna build database, even though I had no experience, right? But already Microsoft had a what's it access, which is the software you can actually build customized database, even though you don't have a coding skills. So yeah, even though I was hired as a legal assistant, I kind of pivoted myself to this database project. Like it's my personal project. So it was funny. So I still had to work as a legal assistant during the day, but after the work, I could work on my own project. And then they could, they, at first they were not gonna pay me for my own project because that's something I just wanted to do. But so it took me, almost like six months to like eight months to complete. Like I literally uploaded all the files and information, at least the index part to the database. And then I automated the reporting system. So we don't have to manually write the 
monthly or like weekly update to our clients. So even though I spent six to eight months on that, the time saving I got afterward that we had to save this was huge. And the partners saw the benefit. So eventually they actually paid me to buy that um, database from me. So that was very, it was exciting. It was something I did by myself. And then I actually made money. <laughs> and then whole process, I actually enjoyed a lot. It was everything was new to me. And then I had to go to a bookstore, look for something I can use. And then also I was going to this forum, asking questions. I want to make this. I need this function. How can I get it? And the people were so nice. that They just do this, this. Yeah, so that was my, I would say that was my first encounter with technology, software. So I got really interested into that area of the business. So I decided to quit the law firm and then went back to school. So I went back for master degree in the U.S. Because at that point, I thought, okay, maybe I could do simple coding and programming, but I'm not good at it. So I wanted to be more like IT consultants. So I went back to business to business school to get my MBA. And then, yeah, business school was fun. It was busy and it was uh, all that stuff. But um, after I finished the school, I I didn't stay in the U.S. I came back to Japan and then worked for, so worked for Sony, which is kind of IT consumer product company. And then that product I was assigned was, yeah, it was IT. It was like the iPhone without cell phone. <laughs> so it's like everything you can do. Like you can take picture, you can listen to the music. It's just you can't talk. It's not my phone. I got stuff. Yeah, it was also fun. I was in like product planning, like marketing. But because it's Sony, it's a big company, everything was so slow. And then whatever you want to do, you have to fill the forms. Paperwork was killing me. <laughs> and then the person who value flexibility and freedom couldn't take it. <laughs> so much structures you have to follow. And I'm like, ah, oh, just kill me. <laughs> so I left after two years. And then after that, I was pretty much on my own. I started my online business. At one point, I was doing fashion and shopper. And after that, I was full-time Airbnb host because I loved traveling, right? And then I stayed Airbnb all over the world. And then I'm like, why don't I just start Airbnb? So even though, even when I'm in Japan, I feel like I'm traveling. <laughs> so I did that for five years, I think. Yeah. So I was like, really, yeah. I'm like the person foods. Get like I'm curious, so I always can find something to distract me, like for a year or two. And then I really dig in 
deep into it. But then I'm like, okay, I'm done. Something new. I need something new. So yeah, I was changing the jobs every three, four years. And then I was enjoying that kind of life. That was, that was pretty much my pre-Bitcoin days. I find it very fascinating that you are so not the typical Japanese woman that people think of. So I want to dig a little deeper into your childhood because Japan is, is kind of interesting because you have simultaneously the, the very rich and very deep traditions of honor and respect and structure. And then you're also at the cutting edge of innovation. When you were growing up and being curious and asking questions when you're not supposed to, <laughs> I'm really glad to hear that your parents supported you. But what was it like for you as a student in the Japanese school system with your personality? With my personality, because, because I'm like super social. If I go somewhere, I usually dominate this, you know, <laughs> place. Like, I'm like, you know, yeah, I can do this. I can do that. So luckily, I was also well accepted by friends, class two. I was never picked on. I guess I was too strong to be picked on. <laughs> yeah, I was always class president or something like that. People usually don't like to be in that role. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so in a way, because I ask questions I'm not supposed to. So teachers are kind of annoyed. But at the same time, because I volunteer to be a class president, so they also valued to be kind of, you know, spontaneous and then take actual responsibility. How was that like when you were going through the testing phase of entering higher education? Oh, like specifically study for college entrance examination and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, that was tough. But you have no flexibility. There is only one answer, right? It's usually a multiple choices. So, but I have a good memory. So I could memorize a lot of stuff. So I did okay. Yeah. The tough part is you actually have to, so you have, you can train yourself to do good in that kind of test, testing way. So junior high and high school, both I had to go to this cram school, especially tailored for scoring high on that kind of test. So that wasn't fun. And then that consumed my precious free time. So I didn't that all yeah but i knew already that that's something i have to go through to be in a place i want to be so yeah okay so you get through the testing phase and now you are at uh, the university and you said that you actually traveled a lot during your university years so were they yeah, travel so abroad programs or were they just vacation kind of trips it's vacation type of trip but Japanese uh, educational system is different from the U.S., I think. Um, so up until high school, their whole purpose for students are getting into good university. And once you get into universities, like unlike the, in the U.S., you actually have to work really hard in the university, right, to get the grade or just to graduate. But Japan is not like that. Once you are in, you will be 
graduating, even though you don't have to do any work. So <laughs> in my case, yes, I was, I was student at the university, but I didn't really go to classes. I didn't attend classes. And then professors are also lazy too. So they used, they reused the same test over and over for many years. So I could just get the test in advance from a friend who's already been through that same class. So yeah, literally you can graduate without studying in Japan. So uh, instead of going to classes, I actually started working. It's a part-time job, but I was almost working as a full-timer. <laughs> like I was working eight hours a day to save money for traveling. Yeah, so I work and they save up their fun. Then once I have enough, I just took off, even though school are in. It wasn't even summer break or spring break. I just, whenever I had money, then I just took off. <laughs> okay, so the four years that you were in college, you were actually not doing college work at all. It was no. in name only. Mm-hmm. And you literally yeah, took so off in the middle I of the was, school year. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I was supposed to study economics, and then I have a bachelor degree in economics. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't learn much about economics. But luckily, it was Keynesian. So thank God I didn't learn Keynesian. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> okay. And and I guess that's just the general understanding of all all Japanese. It's just that you you basically complete your education by high school graduation, and then the four years of college is the reward that you you get. Yeah, yeah, it's like a moratorium you get before facing the tough reality. Yeah, <laughs> four years of vacations. But I think nowadays it's a bit different. Because my niece actually go to school every day and then you know, start even have a homework, doing a homework at home. So maybe they changed. <laughs> well, here's my question then. Do you think that the education that you experienced through world traveling was far more valuable than maybe a classroom experience where you, you get the professors lecturing you and you have to write papers? I don't know, because I didn't go that way, right? I couldn't really compare which I didn't experience. But I would say, I don't know, like educational-wise, but the traveling definitely influenced me a lot. They made my personality or they affected my value and my perspective. Because, you know, born and raised in Japan, it's a clean country. Everything works and then people are so nice. It's very different from the rest of the world, right? So when you go out, you meet people who are not that nice, who are trying to scam you. Or like you go to a country which is not clean and you don't even want to use bathroom, but people are using bathrooms. I'm like, how can they? <laughs> or like, you know, yeah, like everything. Because 
back then, Japan was having bubble economy. Japan was like number one power in the world. So like everywhere I go, I felt like ah, everything is so cheap, right? So yeah, those things you wouldn't know unless you actually go out and see yourself. And then also because I was doing backpacking and then staying at a used hostel with total strangers, you get to talk to those people, right? And then people who are almost like same age as me went through a lot already. One guy was saying, yeah, my father was a judge at the Supreme Court, but he was assassinated. What? <laughs> and the girls were saying, yeah, my country is so poor. And then I'm the first one who went to college. And what? People don't go to college? <laughs> you know, sports type of stuff. And then on the other hand, you will have loyal family who has made, who has five cars, and then they have all different work, right? So it's like, I'm like, wow, the world is so big. I know nothing about. <laughs> I was humbled by, yeah, those experiences, I guess. Okay, so you, you've traveled the world, you've met all these different people, and you've seen different things, you return to Japan. Now you're looking at what you grew up with, with fresh eyes. How did that affect you when you were looking for a job? Because you had mentioned in the previous conversation that the culture was changing right around that time, especially where women were choosing not to start a family and not to be boxed in that role of being a wife and mom. Did that contribute to your viewpoint when you went back to Japan and you started working? Yes. So, yeah, I think women in late 20 or even 30s, they have, it's difficult, right? Because you have to decide if you want to get married, if you want to have kids, if you want to start family, where you want to live, tough decisions you have to make. And then that decision will actually be done the rest of your life. So you'll be, of course, you'll be afraid of making big decisions, right? But now when I look back, you suffer because you actually have a lot of options. But as you get older, your options are, it's one by one, it disappears. At a certain age, you cannot have child. So like less, one less thing to worry about, right? So, but of course, when you are late 20s or 30, you don't know that. So I was, yeah, I was going through tough time, especially around starting. That's when I graduated from business school too. The timing rights, I could have married and started family, but then my degree, MBA degree, would be just wasted. Because in Japan, it's either or. If you choose career, you pretty much have to give up on um, marriage and then having family. And then if you want to have family, then you have to sacrifice your career. And then I'm like, I just spent two years and there's so much money on my education. I can't just give up. <laughs> I have to repay, like I have a huge debt, I have to work. <laughs> yeah, and then also, yeah, because I grew up in the culture, I knew what what, what would be like if I get married to typical Japanese men, which I wanted to avoid. So, yeah, 
even my mom, who's been married, happily married for many years, and then my parents are really good, and then I grew up in a good family. But even she said, don't get married to me because she knew I could actually support myself financially, and then I'm strong enough to be living myself. Um, so she said, you are not going to be happy to have that normal, like typical Japanese wife life. So yeah, stay away. I'm just so blown away by how supportive your parents are. That's amazing <laughs> to not have that burden because if they had said, no, what's wrong with you? Why, why won't you do the typical thing? I think that would have been very difficult for you to kind of break out of the mold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm just lucky, I guess, because I know a lot of my friends who went to you know, school with, yeah, they definitely have pressure from parents. And then also, you know, peer pressure too. Everybody, my close friends were like married young and starting to have kids. Am I really going to be by myself? Am I going to be okay? I questioned myself, but I just couldn't give up my freedom. <laughs> Freedom, it's really important to me. Because, I mean, yeah, go ahead. eventually, to make someone else happy, then you have to be happy yourself too, right? Absolutely. Have, yeah, I realized I wouldn't be happy if I tied and put into this box and then I can't even do anything. Then how can I make you know my kids or my husband happy? I don't think I can, so... Okay, so we've established that you love freedom. I think that's a wonderful segue to get into Bitcoin. You've just quit Sony, and now walk us through how you came across Bitcoin. So, I mean, my Bitcoin story is actually really typical. You heard of the word Bitcoin so many years ago, but you couldn't, you didn't care less. You just dismissed it as, yeah, it's, it's a scam, it's a speculation. So you didn't give any time to look into it. So I started hearing about Bitcoin back in 2013, 2014. I've been investing in stocks and real estate from college, right? So I've been watching Bloomberg or like CNBC. And then sometimes uh, when the Bitcoin price rate, they would report that, like, yeah, Bitcoin just broke $100. And then I vividly remember the first time Bitcoin actually broke $100. Yeah. I think that was 2014. So, yeah. But still, I'm like, yeah. I mean, you know, it's tulip bubble. <laughs> it will go down to zero. So I didn't even pay attention. But 2017 in bubble, I couldn't just watch the price going up and then making everybody so rich. <laughs> so finally, I bought my first Bitcoin in December 2007 without uh, doing research. So even though I bought Bitcoin, I didn't know what I just bought. But I was so happy. Finally, I'm going to be rich. But two days later, the bubble bursted. And then it, you know, the price crashed to the half. I'm like, what? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. It's a scam. I was, you know, run told. And I was so upset. And I cursed myself 
for a few days. But then I thought, okay, I really have to figure this thing out. Otherwise, I'll be, you know, scammed again in the same scheme. So that's when I finally took time to research about Bitcoin. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to read or who to listen to. So basically, I just Googled and then read all the articles it came out. And then I was like, yeah, see, it's scam. You see, it's scam. <laughs> but then I found this blog post and then that made me wonder, oh, maybe it's not a scam. Maybe it might be. So the blog post was by Vijay Goyapati. It's famous, the bullish case for Bitcoin. I think many of Bitcoiners I think it's a classic. It was written in 2018. It's made into a book now. It's really good book. So he talked about Bitcoin and as a money, and he went back to the history of money and what makes good money. So yeah, to me, that was the first article which actually gave explanation in, in terms of like from their economics perspective, even though I didn't study economics. <laughs> okay, but this, this seems really legit. So after that, I still continue on reading. And then a few months later, I discovered the Bible. It's called the Bitcoin Standard, which eventually I translated into Japanese. So, yeah, that book was a slap in the face. Now, this it's the world I've been living, the world I thought I knew, but it's totally different story. So I'm like, wow, I want to think about. So that was when I started falling into the rabbit hole. Yeah, literally after that, or like during that time, like 2018, you know, my personality, if I find something interesting, then I, I have to go all in. So that time, I would rather read than eat or sleep. So my mom is like, here we go again. <laughs> Pericles being terrible. Like, she wouldn't eat, she wouldn't sleep, she just read. Yeah, so I was doing it for about a year. I just couldn't stop. I wanted to know everything about Bitcoin. So that was extreme time. You know, what I find fascinating is that when the price fell, instead of rushing to sell it, you decided to re-up on it. Go through that period for me because that's so unusual. Most people will be like, oh my gosh, I made a horrible mistake. I better sell it before it goes to zero. But you didn't do that. You went and studied Yeah, I mean, it was already, uh, you know, it was already in a half price. I'm like, at this point, it doesn't really matter. Right, and um, if I hold on to it, or if it goes zero, I mean, it's just I just made a mistake. <laughs> I just have to own the mistake. <laughs> and a lot of people, I think, it just they just don't wanna even hear about Bitcoin after going through that experience, right? But I really wanted to make sure that I wouldn't trip on the same scam. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't allow myself if I fell falling into the same scam. So I really needed to know how this thing works. That's interesting. Did you do that with other cryptocurrencies? Did you experiment with them? And did you do the same studies into them that you did with Bitcoin? 
So, yeah, I mean, because two days after I bought Bitcoin, it crashed. So I didn't really have other cryptocurrency at that point. But when I was reading about Bitcoin, of course, you come across other cryptocurrencies too, right? And then because I was back then looking cryptocurrency as, you know, almost like same as stocks. So I was trying to pick the right one, which would outperform others, right? So yeah, I bought several or like tons of outer coins. But eventually, eventually I realized, okay, so Bitcoin is money. It's a good money. And then other cryptocurrency, it's just a startup stock like me. So I could differentiate and then I couldn't care less about those equities. I was more interested in good money and what the good money can do for the society and the whole world. So even though I came for the profit, I just wanted to make money. I stayed because I saw the possibility or the potential of Bitcoin, which can actually change the world for the better. It's interesting that you say the other cryptocurrencies are like equity in a startup company. I haven't heard it described quite that way. So I'm really glad that you use that term because that's what it really is. It's centralized. Yeah, because, yeah, it's, they have, well, I mean, they didn't call the company, but they have what they call themselves like foundation. So it's the same, right? It's that they, you have the organization which determines the fate of the blockchain or the cryptocurrency so it's a company and then those people who are working on are just members working for that company and then people who hold that crypto is a shareholders they get to say what they think but uh it's really up to the company or the management to decide right so it's yeah it's a startup company yeah it, it sounds like um it, it was actually really lucky that you bought Bitcoin and two days later it crashed. So that's that was actually a, a huge blessing for you. Okay, so yeah. now you're way down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Give us an idea of how you then transition into working in the Bitcoin space. And then I want to talk a little bit about the Nostraville, Asia that you just came from. Yeah, so when I was uh, reading about Bitcoin, I had so many questions, right? Because I have math or technological background. So I started going to meetups to meet Bitcoiners who know about Bitcoin so I can ask questions. And then, of course, when I go to those Bitcoins, they are all men. And then when I enter the room, they are like, huh, are you lost? <laughs> this is Bitcoin meetups. <laughs> like, are you lost? <laughs> Like, are you someone plus one? Like, I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm not plus one. I'm not lost. I'm here for Bitcoin meetup. And like, huh. <laughs> yeah, so I started going to this meetup. And then at one meetup, there were a group of people who are actually working to create a hardware wallet, made in Japan, like hardware wallet. And then um, they had a prototype. So because I, my background is product planning and marketing in consumer market, right? So I'm like, you, you can't, this is make this like this or like not this color or 
this bottom, it's it's not like this. It has to be this way or something like. So I was giving irresponsible opinion about <laughs> their product. <laughs> And then they're like, yeah, they are startup. And then basically, town now, they were still working for university. They are professors at Stanford professors. So they were like cryptographers who know nothing about business. I'm like, are you going to be okay? Like, you don't know anything about business. Like, even though you come up with really good product, you have to deliver that product to the market otherwise they wouldn't even know this exists so you need marketing person you need a communication channel and then they have no clue so yeah i decided to join them so that was my first bitcoin job and i was there for how many two three years yeah so that's how i got started in this industry that's fascinating. Isn't it so true that the inventor usually is not the best person to bring the product to the marketplace? So you worked for that company for two or three years. Did you transition from that point to where you are now or was that there other yes. steps in between? Uh, no, it was from their startup to the other side of the venture capital. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> startup life is tough. Like you, yeah, like I really hate it. When I had to talk to uh, Benjamin Capital, like, you know, I know them saying no, it's part of their job and nothing personal, but still, it's it's hard. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> it hurts. And then also the market cycle too, like Bitcoin has a four-year cycle, right? And then when I joined them, it was 2018, so the bubble just it so there it wasn't a good time to raise money i mean it was a good time to build but you know i was constantly worried about that like you know wrong way like how how much how many months do we spend like how many months we go like this yeah it was so stressful yeah so yeah from there i yeah joined to pc so when you started traveling again, because I know that you're not in Japan right now, but when you started traveling mm-hmm. again, was that because of the venture capital work that you're doing or is that just a personal interest? Like I want to continue to see the world kind of thing. So now mainly it's for conferences. So it's a part of the job. But even before, like when I was working for the startup, I was traveling mainly to see. I was really fascinated with the um idea of Bitcoin circular economies. So I wanted to visit them and then see what they are doing. So I went to um, El Salvador and to Guatemala. Yeah, just out of curiosity, nothing to do with the job. <laughs> As we were talking before, there are circular economies popping up all over the place. I personally talked to a bunch of women who are with their own effort with the local people trying to start circular economies where they are. It's absolutely incredible the amount of work you have to put into convincing the merchants yeah. to accept Bitcoin. What have you observed yeah. around the world in your work and also out of your personal interest that you can share with us? I mean, it could be just the type of people who are working on it or their differences. Mm, you mean they're specifically about the circular economy or? Uh, specifically uh, about the circular economy, uh, yeah. Circular economy. 
I think there are different rates, like the Bitcoin beat in El Salvador, El Salvador it's a bottom-up, right? So, but it's a bottom-up grassroots movement, but they had the funding. They had an anonymous donor who gave them a lot of Bitcoin so they could start distributing Bitcoin to people living in the community. So it's, I would say it's not a typical circular economy. Because nowadays, those you know, other circular economy popping up around the world are started by Bitcoiners who are so into Bitcoin, who want to change the world. So they're actually using their own money and their own time to convince, yeah, like you said, educate merchants and then building necessary tools. So those are the grassroots bottom-up approach. But on the other hand, like Lugano city of Switzerland, where you can actually pay, like you can shop more than 200 stores with Bitcoin, and then you can even pay tax or any city service in Bitcoin. And then, you know, it's very different. It's a top-down approach. So they have budget, and then they can hire a company to make, like, posts to cater their needs. So basically, in Lugano, everybody accepts Bitcoin but because of the way POS is configured, the merchant have a choice. Like they can choose how much Bitcoin they want to keep once they keep, once they get Bitcoin. So some might want to just keep 5%, some might want to keep half, some might want to keep all in Bitcoin. But in reality, everybody chose to convert that to seats from as soon as they get Bitcoin. So no merchant wants to hold on to Bitcoin. Yeah, so that's the reality. So yeah, different different types of circular economies. I don't know which one would be good. Top-down seems very efficient if you just want to count the stores which accept Bitcoin. But you know, if you dig in, those people are not really holding on to Bitcoin. So I don't know. Like, Tax-wise, it's probably bottom-up will be eventually more effective. Wow, that's really helpful. I didn't know there were these different structures. Let's jump quickly to your recent experience, Nostra Asia, and it took place in Japan, so very exciting. Tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about what that was like. So Nostra Asia is a conference about Nostra. Nostra is not part of Bitcoin, but Bitcoiners are very like excited about because uh, Bitcoin is like freedom of money, but uh, it's also freedom of speech. Like other social networks, services like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, there are certain things you shouldn't say, otherwise you can't will be frozen. But Nostar, it's not really decentralized. It's like uh, you have many servers where you can store your data. So if this one server decided to ban you, 
there are so many other beautiful tools. So you would never lose your profile, right? So that kind of freedom of speech would appeal to Bitcoiners. So probably if you see overall, it's probably 90% people who are on Nostar are somewhat related to Bitcoin if they are Bitcoiners. But in Japan, it's different. Japanese Bitcoiners still hang out in Twitter or X. And not many people are on Nostar. So who's on Nostar? Those are the people who just like new stuff. So they find out, oh, there is this new SMS we have to be on. And then many of them are developers. And then they found out it's so easy to build an app on Nostar. It's so flexible. So they enjoy that experience, right? So Nostar Asia, even me, who actually spoke on the stage at Nostar Asia, didn't really use Nostar before Nostar <laughs> Like I had an account for a year already. I'm not active. So I don't know much about Nostar, to be honest. So there are, I would say, oh, we probably have also like 700 people coming to conference over in total. And it was four days long. And then probably 60, 70% of people are visiting Bitcoiners. And then three to 40% of Japanese Nostar users, plus a bit of Bitcoiners. So the talks are very different from what you hear on at uh, Bitcoin conferences, even though people who are speaking are the same. So they are Bitcoiners, but they also are excited about Nostar. So on the stage, they try to focus on Nostar, but they didn't talk much about Bitcoin, which was, I think, which was good because those Japanese Bitcoiners, no, Nostar users, uh, not necessarily Bitcoin fans. Actually, some of them hate Bitcoin. When they found out that, which is like tipping service on Nostar, is using coin technology, they were so disappointed. And then they wanted to make alternative version of tipping function, not using Bitcoin. So they, they hate Bitcoin that much. <laughs> so it was, for me, it was interesting. But I'm like, you know, there are so many Bitcoiners and then you can't avoid talking about Bitcoin. It's a freedom pet, you know, saying. And then those people who actually like Nostra because it's free, then they should be interested in Bitcoin if they know what coin is really about. So I try to arrange for uh, Japanese Nostra users during Nostar Asia, but it didn't go well. That it didn't like I couldn't I couldn't arrange for any anyone. <laughs> Why do they hate Bitcoin so much? Because so Japan used to be like Tokyo used to be the center of Bitcoin scene back in like until like 2017, 80s. You know, Mark Fox was there, CJ the C the founder of Binance lived in Tokyo and Roger Burwell also you know, in Tokyo. 
the world was the only that was created in Tokyo. Everybody was in Tokyo. So it was big. And then a lot of people bought Bitcoin during, like at the, around the same time as me. So like 2017 bubble. And a lot of people lost money you know, after bubble busted. So they had some like, negative feeling about Bitcoin through that experience. Or people who didn't even buy Bitcoin heard about so many bad things about Bitcoin. Like when Mount Gox filed bankruptcy, I still remember seeing on national television network saying that the CEO of Bitcoin company was arrested. <laughs> it was just one, I mean, huge, but one exchange. But people couldn't differentiate between Mount Box and then Bitcoin as an open source network. So, yeah, I guess that image was embedded back then and it's still lingering around in their head. They couldn't shut off. So still, when I talk to Japanese friends or uniform members, I wouldn't say I work in Bitcoin. Then I have to start experience. <laughs> so I would just say, yeah, I'm in tech. I'm in fintech. <laughs> Even though we had that bubble burst, eventually the price came back up. But I guess by that time, they weren't really paying too much attention because yeah. they were traumatized so much. Yes. So the last one, 20, was it 2021? Yeah, the price, they reached new all-time high, right? But not many people paid attention. I'm assuming because they already dismissed Bitcoin as scam or some people who secretly wanted to have a Bitcoin so they could enjoy the price pump, but they didn't. So they were kind of bitter about it too. Yeah, I don't know which, but still, yeah. And then even like recently when price is going up, right? It's not making new all-time high, but it's close enough, especially when you look at the chart in Japanese yen, which has depreciated massively in the last few years. So it's so close, but still not many people are talking about it. You also mentioned that in Nostra Asia, the developers really love the zapping mm -hmm. capability of tipping each other. They didn't know what sats were. <laughs> and then they found out that it was operating on a Bitcoin base. Instead of looking to Bitcoin, and why it's the base that's on Noster, they created their own version? They tried to. I don't know if they succeeded. But uh, yeah, they talked about how we can go without using Bitcoin network. Hello. <laughs> yeah. And then even some of them I personally talked during Noster Asia said, so now they are okay using Lightning Network. So they are like, extensively like, researching how Lightning Networks work and which is fine. But, and then some of them are even running Lightning Node. So when they say, yeah, I run Lightning Node, I'm like, then you are also running Bitcoin Node, but they don't want to do it. And they don't want to say it. And then I wouldn't dare to say it. Yeah, I don't know why. but. They said, yeah, Lightning Network is cool, but I just don't care about money. Like, money is good or not. So I'm not interested in learning about Bitcoin. 
So would you say that the Bitcoin movement in Japan is not very robust, or is it just isolated incidents with these developers? No, no, that's the overall impression.、Uh, I have a dedicated website, which is just a collection of Japanese Bitcoin educational materials. It's there, but、uh, I don't get a lot of traffic. People just don't care about Bitcoin because I mean, you can probably read it. The U.S. It's probably the same. Everything、yeah. works. People have credit card. People have bank account. They have their own payment network, and they get points or discount. I mean, they don't need Bitcoin, which is actually a blessing. So, I mean, if they don't need it, good for you. You are the lucky ones. <laughs> Yeah, I just had the same conversation with my son yesterday at the dinner table, and I could see as I was talking his eyes rolling because he's just not in that stage of life where it's important yet. He's relatively young, and so yeah, all we can do is make the material available and hope that one day they will find their own way there. That's also a good thing about Bitcoin, right? It's just there as an option. And then either opt-in or opt-out. It's entirely up to that person. That's freedom. That's flexibility. It's just an option. Scott and I talk a lot about that. All we can do is share the knowledge we have so that people can make informed choices. Because right now, I feel、yeah. like they're making choices, but they don't have the whole picture. Like what you were saying、mm-hmm. when you started reading the Bitcoin Standard, you realized that everything you knew wasn't true. Everything that、yeah. you grew up believing wasn't true. So, yeah, that's my only goal is just to give people the full picture. Yeah, but I also have to warn people who are gonna be entering to Bitcoin that once you see the world through Bitcoin lens, you can't unsee your perspective has changed 180 degrees. If you wish, you can't go back to the way. You were before, so you might lose some friends. You'll be in different situations. So, yeah, because sometimes I'm like, like, can I just go back to happy fiat life? It was so much easier, <laughs> but you can't unsee. So, yeah. Well, that's、It's、exactly why. Yeah, that's exactly why I created that retreat because we do see things so differently, and it's frustrating that the rest of the world. Doesn't see what we see, and that can be really draining. You know, that could be really、mm-hmm. fatiguing. Okay, so to wrap up, what would you say to a woman who's still sitting on the fence about Bitcoin? I actually don't have the advice because that's the question I've been always、um, asking myself: How can I get more women to Bitcoin? How can I get more women to my Bitcoin meetup?、Um, And then I actually don't have answers, so I don't know what's stopping them. I've been hosting a Bitcoin meetup in Tokyo for five years, and usually I'm the only woman there. And then people don't realize I'm a woman because <laughs> it's just all guys. And you kind of have to blend in too, right? I mean, I'm not trying to be, but I guess I'm by now I'm like one of them. Like I'm like a dude. So I don't know what's blocking women's mind,、um, and I don't know what's their wall. One thing, yeah, like you said, women are busy, right? So much to do. They 
don't have enough time for themselves. So why they should spend that time on Bitcoin, accepting Bitcoin. And I, I can't, like, I can't shove orange pill into their mouths, right? They have to realize they have a problem. Once they know they have a problem, then they will start looking for solutions and they might stumble onto Bitcoin. But if they are living in a perfect world, I don't think those people will never discover Bitcoin. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't have the answer. I don't have a good advice. It's so true that until they have a problem they need to solve, they're living their life and it's fine. One idea I have is like the home mm-hmm. parties for selling stuff. So they have it for jewelry. They have it for recipe books. They have it for Tupperware and Bible study and things. And I think there's something to the intimacy of somebody's home that is just different mm-hmm. from a Bitcoin meetup per se. So that's sort of the way that I'm trying to figure out how to get more women to just invite two or three friends to their home and open it up. And then instead of saying, let me tell you about Bitcoin, because then the people won't show up. (laughs) Maybe we say something like, come over and we'll play games. Because people Mm. still do that. They get together, they play games. That hopefully then opens up the conversation. Because we kind of have to do it in a roundabout way. If we just go in, guns blazing, like, do you know what is wrong with the fiat system? They're going to be like, oh, you're going to try to... Preach to me again. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about it because I do see in America too that most women are just going about their daily lives. Either they don't need it or they're so busy trying to survive, they don't have time to stop Mm. and think of other alternatives. Right, right. That's true too. Yeah, I think the people who want to reach uh, who needs Bitcoin actually don't have time. It's just they're so busy. So I'm actually starting a podcast uh, next month. And Are you? Good for you. Tell me about I mean, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be in Japanese. Yeah. And then it's going to be the hidden agenda of course Bitcoin, but I'm not going to talk about Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> the title Very doesn't sneaky. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's about it's about money. Like people love money. Yeah. So yeah. it's about money. It's Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this podcast is actually based on that like, we use. Do you know the, my first Bitcoin, the El Salvador? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we eventually gonna translate that textbook into Japanese, but it's such a big book. It's gonna take time. So. In the meantime, we're going to start this podcast. It's going to be just 15 minutes once a week. We're going to update once a week. So it's not overwhelming at all. Mm-hmm. And then we just go through the textbook bits by bits. It's basically me and then other guys. So the other guy is like a newbie. He's, he just got a big one. So he asked me questions and then I answer kind of thing. And then we try not to use the word Bitcoin. Yeah, we got to do yeah. it all different ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we just have to yeah. hide our intention. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was talking to... Get I know. I was talking to uh, Rachel Geyer in Germany. 
And mm-hmm. she was saying how if we were to have a wellness retreat, and we don't say mm-hmm. Bitcoin retreat, we just say wellness retreat, women would flock to it because everybody's about wellness. And then once they arrive, then you say, well, there's different kinds of wellness. You have your health wellness, you have your emotional wellness. And oh, by the way, you have your financial wellness. Let's talk about Bitcoin. But of course, we want to cover all the other areas. So in that way, you can attract newbies in and have a way to connect the ideas together. So I'm like, that's very sneaky, but I think it might work, you know? Yeah, but I think we have to be sneaky. (laughs) We have to be sneaky, I know. I just think that women have a lot of power to influence through the home, like through the living room. I always keep going back to the living room. So I just feel like we have a lot of power and we're just starting to collectively work together because the men have been working together for over a decade. And so I feel like their network is really strong, but the women are literally just starting to step forward. So as much as I can, I want to try to get us together face to face and not necessarily to talk about what's going on in technology or even politically, but just how do we communicate to other women in the way that only women can to spread the idea. Mm-hmm. And when you, if you listen to some of the men talk, they would say, if things get bad, we're just going to leave. I'm going to pick up my family. We're going to leave. Well, that's great for you. But what about the rest of us? We can't just pick up and leave. You know, my kids aren't going to come with us. I have to stay here. We got to fight the battle here. And the only way that I know how is to get women to work the women's network. Do you know, I don't know if you guys have this in Japan, but there's a organization called MAD, M-A-D-D, and it's Mothers Against Drunk Driving. It's a coordination started Mm -hmm. by a mom of somebody who was killed by a drunk Mm -hmm. driver. And it's a bottom-up grassroots kind of movement against drunk driving. MOPS is another one, Mothers of Preschoolers. That's a very, very strong network. And and there are MOPS organizations everywhere. You can't go to a city in the U.S. and not be able to find several MOPS groups. So kind of like that. If we can do something through the home like that for money education, maybe not even Bitcoin education, but just money education yeah money in general yeah Yeah, then then we have a chance to spread the wildfire you know that's my thought yeah but uh yeah i think in general especially in the last few years or like last year this year people are suffering from inflation and then many people are wondering why we suffer right we are working at the same time time and we are getting even we are getting great but somehow your life is much more difficult that you can't even keep up with bills so people are starting to question why people just haven't found what's causing but yeah so i guess now it's the timing wise it's, it's good Joining us today, if the discussion with our guests resonated with you and you would like to dive deeper into the world of Bitcoin, don't miss out on joining the Orange Hatter Women's Reading Club. The meetup link is in the show notes. Also, if there are women in your life whom you think would both enjoy and benefit from learning more about Bitcoin, please share Orange Hatter with them. Until next time, bye! This episode is sponsored by Free Market Kids.